0: What if it was your job to be funny as a professional comedian and you get the decidedly unfunny news that you have cancer? What do you do about that? On episode 15 of Cancer and Comedy, comedian Rick Roberts takes us on that very journey. Hello, my friend. I'm Dr. Brad Miller. And a month or so after I retired as a pastor, I got the unfunny news that I had cancer. What to do? What to do? I decided to integrate my doctoral degree in personal transformation with my podcasting experience and love of comedy. And the result is the Cancer and Comedy Podcast. Want to hear more? Listen on, my friend listen on
1: cancer got you down pretty grim huh how about a show that turns the grim into a grin way to go you made it here to the cancer and comedy podcast the show to lift you up with hope and humor that heals Hey there, Lifter Uppers, I'm Deb Creer, the co-host of Cancer & Comedy, where we like to bust cancer in the caboose with uplifting uplifting stories of healing through hope and humor. We're jazzed that you made it here, and have we got a treat for you today, so let's get started. Here is the host of Cancer & Comedy podcast, Dr. Brad Miller.
0: Thank you, Deb, appreciate you so much. It's always a delight to, to be with you. and. Here at the Cancer and uh, Comedy Podcast, we're always looking to turn the grim of cancer into the grin of celebrating life. And so I came across a lizard on his hind legs the other day, telling jokes. And I, I told my buddy who was with me, "Man, man, that lizard is good." And my buddy said to me, "Hey, that ain't no lizard. That's a stand-up chameleon."
1: Oh.
0: I say that, Deb, because today we're talking to a comedian on cancer and comedy. We're going to focus literally on the theme of our podcast, cancer and comedy with cancer and a comedian. And uh, I've heard, we'll get into the details of that in a minute, but Deb, I am delighted as I get to know you to hear you laugh a lot about situations in life, including your own situation and to... laugh when sometimes when you and I uh, make a little mistake, when we record something, you, you bust out laughing out loud. It's just really cool. But I would be interested in hearing about uh, what tickles you, what makes you laugh out loud, uh, laugh out loud, like a comedian or a TV show or a movie or something like that. What really breaks you up? You
1: no, know, I have to say, I love big bang theory. I mean, that's just, you know, and, and it's one of my favorite programs, but if I'm needing comedy. I mean, like, you're just feeling so blue, so upset at the world, things like that. There is nothing better than I love Lucy, right? You know, it just, it, it it takes you back to a different era of comedy. But it's just, you know, it, it also somehow touches your soul. But yeah, you need something, you go to Lucy.
0: Well, Lucy's one of those classics, uh, you know, physical comedy and just, you know, absurd stuff and just flat out funny stuff. And I, I love, uh, I love comedy like that too. Physical kind of things. And, uh, yeah, we were talking about the movie, uh, Caddyshack with Bill mm-hmm. Murray. He's mm-hmm. one of my favorites. And some of the Saturday Night Live stuff, I like that kind of stuff for just being silly and stupid mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes a little bit uh, uh, biting satire wise. Mm-hmm. But like I got to say, I really I like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, right. where the, on his show, where it was a show about nothing, but there was always, they went deeper into some areas right. they that
1: always were, went. That sounds familiar. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's just kind of like familiar stuff. They gave mm-hmm. a little twist on it, and but one of my all-time favorites actually, is Steve Martin, and he mm-hmm. uh, had Steve Martin Martin Short have this this uh, television show, this uh, short-term television show, I had called mm-hmm. Murders in the Building, which has a kind of a theme about podcasting, and I like it. I went to see when a long time ago, when I was in college, I saw Steve Martin in concert in a big stadium. Several wow. thousand people there. And I'm so struck by him. And this, this will, it takes me a little bit, but. He played the banjo as a part of his show, and I actually went out and bought a banjo and took banjo oh. lessons. After that, I never, did, I never did learn the banjo, but I t- took that. But, <laughs> but I like that kind of uh, uh, humor that kind of makes you think or kind of go "huh" a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other guys I really liked that made me think a lot and uh, was George Carlin. I just liked yes. his you know mm-hmm. kind of that word. That,
1: of thing. Oh, he had that biting satire yeah. thing down good. And just mm-hmm.
0: how to you know kind of really. <laughs> shoot mm-hmm. to the heart of, of things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff I, I like.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and we're going to have so much fun today because our guest is a professional comedian who has quite the story to tell of his own about overcoming cancer in his own life and how he uses comedy to deal with it.
0: Indeed. Uh, I'm just thrilled to have our guest with us t- t- today. His name is Rick Roberts. And his, uh, his website is rickroberts.com. That's dot scom We'll put that in our show notes as well. And uh, he's got an incredible story to tell. As you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, he is a professional comedian. He travels the country. He's uh, been on uh, on Netflix and other specials uh, that are out there. Well, and he's uh, part of a movie called The Mayberry Man Movie. And that's also a short run television show called the Mayberry man, uh, show and which is out right now. And, uh, but he's also a cancer, uh, survivor in dealt uh, with prostate cancer, which uh, I uh, deal with uh, as well. And we're thrilled that he's here with us today. And moreover here at the cancer company podcast, he is a part of what we're calling our launch party.
2: Mm.
0: And on uh, November the 4th, 2023, we have our live stream launch party for cancer and comedy. And this is a live comedy show where Rick Roberts is going to be at a live mm-hmm. show in Indianapolis, Indiana, where I'm located at. And the whole point of this live show is going to be to raise awareness and money for cancer research mm-hmm. as a benefit. We could actually call this event the Clean Comedy Cancer Benefit. And, uh, but we're also making this a live stream launch party for our podcast mm-hmm. here. So people can connect up to this at cancer slash live. Now we have connections to our YouTube and mm-hmm. our Facebook live uh, channels and be part of a live stream launch uh, party. And, uh, we're going live Saturday, November 4th, 2023, seven o'clock PM Eastern time. And, uh, Rick does an incredible Barney Fife impression. We're going to talk about that here uh, today. And we just hope people will will check that out. And they can go to cancerandcomedy.com slash live and get connected.
1: Perfect. I love it. Well, following this wonderful interview today, you're going to want to stick around for Dr. Brad's bad joke of the day. And yeah, I know we already had one, but we've got another one coming up (laughs) and it's faith it or break it segment and our listener lifter stories. Did you know that you can be part of an upcoming episode of cancer and comedy with your uplifting story of hope and humor and kicking cancer in the butt? Just go to voicemail. Dot cancer and comedy dot com and leave your message for us.
0: We look forward to uh, hearing folks get connected with us because we want to be a good listener. And that's one of our values we hear at the Cancer and Comedy Podcast. And one of our other uh, values is to do things to help lift people up. And our guest today, Rick Roberts, is going to do that. He's going to be sharing his story of how he got into comedy how it uh, made a difference in his life, and how he then leverages comedy to serve people for a a greater good. You're going to love this interview, so check it out. It's my pleasure to introduce to our Cancer Comedy audience, my friend, uh, comedian Rick Roberts. We have a great guest with us today. His name is Rick Roberts, and he embodies these themes of hope, and humor. He's a professional comedian who travels the country. He's been on on Sirius FM, on Laugh USA, and Jeff and Larry's Comedy Roundup, among other things. And he was just recently in the movie and the television series Mayberry Man. His name is Rick Roberts. Rick, welcome to our conversation here today, my friend. Hey, how's it going, Brad? Hey, it is going awesome. It's Great to make a personal connection with you and learn your story a little bit and hear what you are all about. You're on the road a lot to traveling for your comedy shows, and you're. But you enjoy your family. and A lot of your comedy, a lot of your, a lot of your things that you share in your life come from your family life. What's hey, Rick? What's something to put a smile on your face here recently? Either in your family, or saying your travels, or something else. What's something that has kind of put a smile on your face?
3: Oh, I always enjoy my kids. They say stuff. My. Got a 17-year-old son and an 11-year-old daughter and my 11-year-old has just no filter at all and she just she speaks the truth even when nobody needs to hear it. (laughs) So the other day I was doing something I think I was telling my wife I was going to go for a bike ride or something like that my wife said but you rode yesterday and my 11-year-old stepped in and says Hey, let Papa be Papa, and I just started laughing. I'm like Thanks. Thanks for backing me up. I'm like, wow!
0: Give you your space. You, you yeah. had this had to say to her. You had to maybe you had to say something to your wife. Listen yeah, you to do the do wisdom. You, papa, listen Mama. to the wisdom of the young one here. That's, that's right. That's fantastic. Hi. Well, you got that going for you. You got your family life, and you got some good things going here. Tell us a little bit about how you traversed your way into the world of professional comedy. How did that kind of come about for you, Rick?
3: Yeah, I always enjoyed comedy. Looking back, I I guess I was really into it, but never thought you could do it. When they had the comedians on the different rock and roll stations throughout the week, when I was in junior high and high school, I would tune in and listen to them on Thursdays because they were coming to Lexington, Kentucky, where I lived. And they would do a little promo and be interviewed. And I I would set my stereo to record it. I had a timer all-in-one Lloyd's system. So I would put a cassette tape in there and set it for 730. And if I couldn't be there to listen, I would record it and I'd listen to it and come home. And then many years passed by, I go to college I'm creative in college. I do funny stuff on the radio, but I still wasn't thinking comedy was a job. I just didn't know how you got into it.
0: You were on like the campus campus radio station or something like that. Yeah. On the campus
3: radio station, I, I would contribute little pieces to the morning shows, parodies, different little commercial skits or whatever. And graduated, moved to Columbus, Ohio, and about three or four months in, I was just looking for something to do. And I was flipping through the pages of the Sunday paper for goings on and whatever. And I see a listing for an open stage night, which in college we had those, and you mm-hmm. would read a poem or you bring a guitar or do something creative, but we didn't have any comedians. So it never dawned on me this was gonna be a comedy open stage that I was going to. So I thought, I'll just bring my guitar and play three songs. So I go there. I sign up, the guy goes, Listen, there's twenty of you tonight. You go up you're going up first, do about three to seven minutes, and then any longer than that we'll give you a light, you'll get off stage. I just hit him with your best stuff. So I'm like, ah, right, hey, you're the very
0: 1st you're the first one up, is that right?
3: Yeah, so what but oh <laughs> I didn't know it was a comedy contest that was a twelve week contest. They were like in week number four. And after each show they would bring the comedians back on stage and the audience would vote on who they thought was the funniest, they'd count the votes up. People got the most votes, got to go later in the show the next week. Since I was new, I had zero votes from the previous week. They put me up front. So I I didn't see any comedy. I went up and played three songs. Nobody laughed. Nobody clapped. Nobody was interested in what I was doing. I just thought at least they were quiet. And as I'm walking off stage, (laughs) (laughs) the host of the night goes, didn't anybody tell you it's a comedy night tonight? I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, it's a comedy night. It's a a comedy competition. I'm like, I'm out of here. So Grabbing guitars, headed out the door, and lucky for me, two guys came out, and they were they were nice. They're like, hey, man, I, I think you were doing some kind of Andy Kaufman thing in there where you were just trying to okay make- that's what was funny. I'm like, no, I didn't know it was comedy night. I said, I'm a, guitar- I'm a bad guitar player, but I thought I could come out here and play a couple songs. If you're leaving, can we have your hoagie? I'm like, what? You get a hoagie <laughs> for going on stage. And I was just out of college, pretty broke. I'm like, I'm going to go back in and eat that six-inch sub. So I <laughs> sat in the corner, watched the other 19 or so comics go up. And some had already, as the night went on, it got better because those are the people had the most votes from the previous weeks. And yeah. by the time they got to the last three or four, those guys had been on like evening at the improv and the Tonight Show. So, and they just happened mm-hmm. to live in Columbus, Ohio. All right. So i watched all this. I'm like, oh, so the newer people are practicing. They're in the front. But as you get experience, you get better at it. And I just thought, okay, I know this is a comedy night now. I'll come back next Sunday and do another set, but I won't bring my guitar. I'll just write some jokes.
0: So you figured it out a little bit on the spot, how you try to
3: navigate it. Okay. Yeah. I watched the different comedians, and there was a couple that I enjoyed and thought were funny. And so i talked to them a little bit, and they're like, hey – after a few weeks we'll get together and we usually ride on Saturday afternoons or something like that if you want to bring your notebook and some ideas we'll just meet at a coffee house or whatever. Yeah. So, did that, started getting a few minutes of material and different opportunities and then about a year into it I'd done maybe and this is no exaggeration at least 200 shows or 200 oh sets. Oh my goodness. How at about
0: the at right, all around the Columbus area, the same club or whatever it was? Or?
3: Yeah. In the Columbus area, there was seven open stages a week, seven open mics wow. a week. And then I would go to Dayton, Ohio, Cleveland, Toledo had a club, Cincinnati had two clubs. So I would just go to anyone I could just to try to see if the material was funny over there. Cause some things were so local. Yeah. You guys outside of Columbus, they weren't funny to anybody else. Cause so you learn those things, but a year into it, I'm like, I, I'm going to go full throttle. You, you
0: must've got hooked right away. If you did 200 shows within that short amount of time, you must've said, okay, I'm I'm going for it.
3: Yeah. yeah. The great thing was we there was three shows on Sunday, three on Monday, two on Tuesday, two on Wednesday. And then you could find some stuff out of town. So you could have an idea at the beginning of the week. And after three nights, four nights, you've already done seven shows. You start to figure out how to tell a joke, if it's funny or not. If it didn't work, I didn't completely get rid of it. I would just try to rewrite the beginning yeah. of it or try something different. But
0: T- Tell me the story, Rick, about that moment when something clicked or snapped with you and you realize, okay, not only was this kind of a lark something to do and I can enjoy it, but okay, maybe I can actually do something with this. Maybe I can build a little bit of a career here or make some money or do something with this. Was there a moment like that when you, something clicked for you, that story?
3: Yeah, it was a two-click deal. One was I was working with an improv group, improvisational comedy. So we would take suggestions from the audience, do a 90 minute show. And that was a lot of fun. I didn't have to write any material because you were just in the moment reacting to stuff. And I thrived in that environment. And about a year from the day that I started doing the first comedy night, they asked me if I could go on the road with them to do some gigs because the guy that played guitar in their group was going to take a year off. And oddly enough, he was moving to Nashville to try the the songwriter thing out. Okay, yeah. They said, if you want to join us, uh, it's yours, but we're going on the road next week and we need you next week. So I went into my HR department, talked to my lady that was in charge said, hey, I think I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to stop working here. So sorry (laughs) to give you two weeks, but I just got a notice about 20 minutes ago that I got an opportunity.
0: You were in some sort of a corporate job, tracking that way of some sort?
3: Yeah, it wasn't tracking any good direction. I was just doing data <laughs> entry for Simon & Schuster. It was just a dead end.
0: So it wasn't any huge, uh, heartbreaking moment you know, for you to make this shift at least give it a try at that no, moment. No,
3: it was very refreshing. I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I'm a wandering soul, so I, I don't think I could have stayed in that building much longer than I was anyway. And yeah. to travel the country and do comedy, even if you're breaking even or going in dead a little bit, it was more interesting than just typing in ISBN numbers for... But mm. I've always been a little bit curious about
0: how the, how the sausage is made, how you get there, the writing process and the practice and that kind of thing. Can you tell me a little bit about how
3: that worked for you? Or I think initially you start imitating what you like, which you can't do that for very long because unlike bands who do cover songs, comedians have to have original and unique material. But initially, the stuff that I thought was funny growing up was Bill Cosby. Jeff Foxworthy, I thought was funny. Andrew Dice Clay, I listened to in college. So I remember one of my first bits was, what if Andrew Dice Clay lived in the country and Jeff Foxworthy lived in New Jersey? <laughs> oh, so you're from New Jersey, if, kind of thing. So I yeah. switched those things. Right. And, kind of a fish, fish out of water sort of a thing, huh? Yeah, but by saying those jokes, and they were original jokes, but it was just, I was doing impressions of comedians. <laughs> Robert, you'll hear most comics say it takes about seven years to get comfortable saying what you think and how you think from your point of view that the audience will digest. And that's kind of part of the journey. The audience will laugh at whatever's funny, but what connects with them is the material that's true to you and who you are from your point of view. So you just want to establish that early in the show so people know this is the filter that everything is coming from. Whether you're angry or bitter or excited or confused, you got to, in your first jokes, really let them see where you're coming from.
0: As you've definitely have tracked and found your voice, so to speak, And kind of the clean comedy and kind of the down home sort of a thing. Is that a fair assessment of where you're at? And did you, how did you arrive at that place?
3: Yeah, it took a while. But I think once you stop trying to please the audience and just try to to say and write what you think is funny, if I write 10 things that I think is funny, maybe two of them the audience will think is funny. But those are two that I think are funny and they think are funny. If I mm. try to sit and write down 10 things, I think the audience will laugh at. If it doesn't resonate with my persona on stage or my point of view, it, it'll fall flat. So it's better to come at them with something that you're thinking. If it doesn't work, retool it or set it aside, but keep the ones that do work and just build off of that. And so once I figured that out, it was a big relief because I didn't have to change the way I wrote jokes for every single audience I was in front of. Mm, okay. I would write what I was think is funny. If they don't think it's funny, I'm not taking it. A backbite or mad at the audience. I'll just write more stuff until I find stuff that both of us can connect on.
0: That sweet spot that you found that really jives with who you are and what you're all about. But I, you mentioned something a second ago that I, this may be something I've always wondered about here. Rick, you mentioned Andrew Dice Clay, which known as an extremely blue comedian, right? Yeah. And then you mentioned Jeff Foxworthy, known basically as a kind of the country down home. Essentially a clean committing for the most part. And we had the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, which was more oriented to a rural mindset, if you will. And with Andrew Dice Clay Urban and all that kind of stuff, really rough edge. So I've always wondered, at least I've looked at it from my experience in comedy clubs and watching comedy and being a fan, is that you've basically got a track that is like we just said, there's a blue track and there's a clean track and there's some in between there. The thing I've wondered about, I'm just curious about, is there any, oh, animosity or competition or derision or how are how do those two groups of people uh, look at each other? Or are they just completely
3: separate worlds? Anybody that's a professional comedian, if you're doing it full time, like I know guys that are pretty dirty on stage. I know guys that are clean as can be. Off stage, I can get along with them fine. I respect that they've made a living out of it going either direction or whatever. Um, I think a lot of the dirtier comics, you often hear them say, I wish I could write clean, or I really respect clean comedians because they're doing it a different way. I, I think comedy is just a tool. It's, you know, at some point, you have to figure out what you're using your tool for. And so for the first eight or nine years, my I was just creating that tool or that sledgehammer of ha- comedy or whatever you want to call it. In the comedy clubs and that was populated by people who were drinking smoking out mm-hmm. to have a good time partying more or less so the material was geared towards them whether you intended it to be or not a lot of times and then once i figured out oh now i can be funny i had a few different moments where i realized god just gave me this tool to use for other things it's not an ends to a means to an end just to go to a comedy club and be funny but to use your comedy to do other things with you sacrifice the, the spotlight being on you because you're highlighting other things, which is what I think is what I'm supposed to be doing with it now. So mm-hmm. I had to, had to go through the comedy club experience and I enjoyed it for the most part. But you need that many repetitions to get good at your craft. Okay. You're doing yeah. five, six, seven shows a week. People that paid money that are expecting a good show. Long story short, I, I decided to use my comedy for clean things and for bigger purposes than me. It's so basically
0: a, there's not, we're our team over here and you're, the other team is over here and we don't uh, associate there is there is a mutual respect and, and some connection. There's some overlap there as well. Is that a fair thing to say?
3: I think in general, I'm sure there's extremists on both ends. They're like, you're yeah. clean? Why? Why? And other people are like, you're dirty? Can't you write yeah. clean?
0: You mentioned something there that you use it for what God called you to be about. And tell me a little bit about how that you see this calling this biblical calling, and, as it were, as a tool to you do something to benefit the greater good? As
3: Driving back from a particular long stretch is probably 10 or 12 days, one night, different cities. I was about an hour away from Nashville on the way home, and I, I literally pulled over. I was just exhausted, and I just prayed. And I said, God, I've been doing this for 10 years. I, I think I'm decent at it. I feel like you've let me do it for 10 years for a purpose. If there's something i can do with comedy besides just going to a holiday inn express on a thursday night or whatever it was and performing comedies i want to hear what it is give me a sign that kind of thing about 10 minutes later my phone rings and it's an opportunity to do a christian comedy show called bananas and i had never done a show in a church i didn't even really understand that there was christian comedy in in my brain i thought you had to get there and tell jokes about noah's ark for it to be a christian comedy show i had no idea what it was but I, i took that as an answer to my prayer that, hey, here's an opportunity to be around other Christians, and this recording would be put on a DVD, and people in churches will see it or whatever. I thought, this is great. This will challenge me to whatever jokes I still have in my act that maybe shouldn't be there, I can drop those. I can write a few new ones. I can put together an hour for this thing. I had two weeks to do it. And uh, oddly enough, the recording took place back in Columbus, where I had just moved from Columbus to Nashville, Now I'm going back to my club. And I had a chance to, to do the Christian show. And then my friends who were in Columbus, who had never seen me do a Christian show, were like, are you a Christian? Hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I, didn't, I had no idea. Then I'm like, oh, that's probably, that's my bad. I've been here for 10 years and you didn't know. That's uh, on me. Set the scene of how it felt, what it
0: looked like, and what it feel like to do something that sounded like it was a pretty significant shift for
3: you. It was my first time really just saying that I was a Christian comedian, because I just never... You are a variety of things, but it's first time I put those things together. But the trickiest part was the I got bronchitis like two days before. So oh my gosh, the whole time we're doing morning radio, five different radio stations. I can barely breathe. I got to do a show that night. I can barely breathe through it, but I got through it. But it felt good, and I thought, you know what? I literally driving back home from that event. I said, that's a show I should do every time, whether I'm in a church, a corporate event, a fundraiser, a comedy club. I can be funny and not have to do anything that's out of the boundaries of being a christian and i don't necessarily have to get up there the whole time and say i'm a christian this is a joke about church or whatever i can just be some the guy that god made me and not have to worry about pleasing anybody else and that was really freeing
0: hey my friend dr brad meller here i just want to put a bug in your ear that the cancer and comedy podcast live stream launch party is just around the corner That's right. The cancer and comedy live stream launch party is Saturday, November 4, 2023, 7 o'clock p.m., coming to you live on YouTube Live and Facebook Live. And it is a live comedy show featuring clean comedy legend Rick Roberts. He's in the Mayberry Band movie and TV show, and he does a killer Barney Fife impression. The Cancer and Comedy Podcast live stream launch party is coming to you live from the Clean Comedy Cancer Benefits Show. And if you're in the Indianapolis, Indiana Eric, come and check it out in person. For you, my Cancer and Comedy Podcast lifter uppers, the live stream launch party is at cancerandcomedy.com live. Now remember the date, Saturday, November 4, 2023 seven o'clock p.m eastern time you can find the launch party at slash live we'll see you there turning the grim into grins you found your calling as it were you found you found your pathway that was working for you is that fair
3: yeah and but at the same time i still had a schedule full of shows that weren't at churches or whatever. And I was curious yeah. how to connect with churches and let them know that I'm, I'm doing this and I can offer that. But And
0: then a couple of things happened. One was COVID and you had to deal with that. We all did. And then you had another, uh, then you had a health episode. Tell us a little bit about how one of those kind of led to another and you had to deal with some renewed challenges that kind of threatened a little bit of your career.
3: Yeah, it was really interesting. When COVID happened, I remember within three weeks, my, my last show was like the first weekend in March of that year, and then everything got canceled for the next 12 months. Like 115 shows, basically, is what I counted up that got canceled. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I need to find another job. I need to go to Home Depot, or maybe I actually looked and see, how much do Amazon delivery drivers make? Maybe... (laughs) Because those guys were busy back then, weren't they? They're still busy. Two more months went by and there was nobody rescheduling stuff, and they they were canceling stuff even further on the counter. And it it was very odd, and I, I don't... I wanna be positive about my experience during COVID, but I 100% understand it was not positive for a lot of people. But for me, having been on the road so much with two kids, my wife, I was gone more probably than I needed to be. Mm -hmm. And so that gave me a a hard break where all of us were home 24 seven. And we really got to reconnect and my relationships with everybody in my family got much stronger and and we got more connected. So that was all great. And, And then God provided through a bizarre, I got a phone call that basically I was given a year's pay, but my publisher called me and said, Hey, we've got a, a check for you at the office. I said, well, just mail it. They go, you might want to drive down here and get it. And it was literally within $5 of what I made the previous year during comedy. <laughs> hey, so, that sounds sound like a bit of a God thing to me, man. It was a crazy because that plus the two good months I had in January and February, it, it was my best year in in earnings, ever. <laughs> it wasn't my most busy year by any stretch to imagine. So I, I just knew Guy was providing for me then.
0: So there's a bit of a yeah. silver lining out of that experience. You got to spend some time with your family and you had your financial needs uh, cared for. And then you had a, a big health challenge.
3: Yeah. So the other benefit of the COVID year was because I was home and I had free time, I started to exercise. Oh, okay. Started running. Hurt my foot, got plantar fasciitis, which is if anybody's ever had that, it's like an ice pick going right into the arch of your foot, like it's the worst thing. So I, I'm like, I'm not going to stop moving. So I got on a bicycle, started really liking that, and I started biking 30, 50, 70 miles at a clip. And my wife's, hey, buddy, why don't you go to the doctor and get a checkup? Because your my family, everybody has had heart attacks before they were 50, and here I was, Kay. 52, 53. So I scheduled a doctor's appointment thinking like they're gonna come back and say, hey, your heart's totally blocked or whatever. Wasn't thinking about anything else. And they, they said, listen, your heart's fine, but we did a thing called a PSA test and your numbers indicate you may have some prostate issues, maybe mm-hmm. prostate cancer. And so I said, What's, what are my numbers? So like, we really don't want it to be above five. Five, we really want to take action. And most guys at two or three, we start to do something and, and change some things. Yours is 63. Yeah, that is that's not good. And you're talking like they thought it was. They actually called me in for a second test, like maybe something was wrong in the lab. This is one of the biggest numbers they'd ever seen. Biopsy and check for cancer cells, and they did that. And that's that was in November of 20. Let's see, COVID was 2020, right? Yeah, so November 21. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then I'm like, all right, I definitely got it. And there's different ways you can treat it. uh, Proton therapy. Radiation or heavy prostate removes. And the way it was explained to me at my age, if we did chemo first, it would crisp or what's the right word? It would basically turn the area around your prostate into more of a potato chip than a, a potato. So if we had to go back in there and cut something out later, remove your prostate, it would be a little bit trickier to do.
0: Right. The the way my doctor said is it, you're really just going to fry your insides up is what it.
3: Yes, basically that's about said.
0: the same thing. Because uh, I, I had the same thing, prostate cancer, and my my PSA was elevated.
3: I, I elected to go with the removal of the prostate. It's it's scary when you hear the word cancer and you look at how old you are, and you look at how young your kids are, and all these things. My wife's dad, he was definitely older, but he passed away from pro- prostate cancer. So it was extra emotional for her to hear those words attached to me. I see. Um, oh. I, I was pretty calm until the visit where we were looking at the results and my wife was just asking like a million questions. Like she was just trying to say, well, maybe it's this that's causing those numbers to be up. And he's, no, we've got the results here. And she's, maybe it's... I just had to interrupt both of them. I said, listen, I've got it. Let's address it and get rid of it and move on. Let's just... For, don't argue back and forth about anything else. Let's just figure out the date we're going to get this done. It's still the moment, moment it takes your breath away and you just... It's like getting punched in the nose. Okay, uh, it got my attention now, so let's get it taken care of. And uh, it, was, it was upsetting and all these things, but literally I had one full day of just like sadness and depression and worry. And then I prayed probably two hours at night and just from there on, I just, whatever happens. I did all the things that you do uh, before major surgeries and started making... Here's a list of all my passwords in case I, the robotic arm goes haywire or the power goes off or the Wi-Fi disconnects when this robot. am like, why do I have a MySpace password still? And CompuServe, what is going on here? And Kinko's, I could just delete these. You do all those things, made a little folder of everything, wrote letters to everybody in case they didn't come back from it and all these things. But surgery went well. Uh, what you're sharing
0: there is that traumatic moment. I want to get to with you in a second is how you justify in some sense something so dramatic and traumatic with a person whose actual job is to be funny <laughs> something's yeah. not so funny i wouldn't come in to minute, but my quick funny story about that the day i had surgery i had prostate surgery prostatectomy just as you did and that day we had tornadoes in our area and the the lights were flickering on and off and there were big power oh. outages. The power was out at my house when I left to go to the hospital that day. And the hospital, I, part of the conversation was, what if the power goes out in the middle of your procedure here? So that was part of our conversation that very day. But So it struck me funny at the moment, and but we made it through. But I am interested in your response as a comedian, as someone whose job is to be funny when you deal with something that really isn't
3: funny. Early on in comedy, maybe five or six years in, somebody said the phrase, everything can be funny, but not everything is. Okay. And that's 100% true. Everything can be delivered the right way to the right audience in the right timing, but not everything can also not be funny done the opposite way. Mm-hmm. And so I journaled a lot. I wrote a lot, all my thoughts down, like all my serious thoughts, and then I would pop back at them with just the way I, I felt, whether it was... Factual or not, and I've still got a, a chunk of those now. Mm-hmm. But you find the material even that morning, like you say, I go in. You're doing the more paperwork that morning at five a.m. And yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. make sure you use the valet. So we, but my wife drops me off at the front, and I see a guy smoking, and he's in a leather jacket, and he's got tattoos. And I, I jokingly said, to my wife. There's our anesthesiologist. <laughs> An hour later, there that guy comes out. <laughs> I'm like, that, that was my anesthesiologist. It was your anesthesiologist.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Oh and my And then gosh. you're doing that
3: paperwork, and I remember the nurse, bless her heart. She goes, so I'm just going to run through these questions, and she does seven or eight normal things, and she goes, and how do, and just for clarity, how do you identify? I'm like, I'm here for prostate surgery. So, currently, <laughs> I identify as a male, but we'll see what happens on the other end of the study. <laughs>
0: yeah. In case something slips, you got to be careful yes. there.
3: <laughs> but there's all those things. And then, definitely, in, as in the couple of weeks following, you're humbled with a catheter and all these other things. And it's oh, just, yeah. yeah. Man, the, the beautiful part of my post operation two weeks was it was right when March Madness started. So I could sit on the couch literally and not leave the couch for 24 hours and watch all the ball games. not even have to get up you know, until I had to take the, take care of the.
0: Do you think having this sense of having a sense of humor and a sense of hopeful attitude, do you think it helps in the healing process? Do you think it helps people to recover uh, from trauma, whether it be a physical thing like this, or maybe even an emotional thing?
3: Oh yeah. There's a lot of studies that have showed that humor and, and, and hospital visits and stays and post surgery, and all that stuff helps the healing process. It releases endorphins in your body, in your brain, and that's, those are positive connections. And you need all those kinds of things when you're going through a tough time. You don't want to deflect everything and never acknowledge mm-hmm. that things going on in your body, but you also can absorb those things with some humor and with not take, taking it as life or death every single moment. We're going to withstand a few hits, and it's going to ebb and flow, and things might look better for a while. They might look worse, but your attitude. I definitely think plays a big part in how you heal and how fast you heal. And even if it doesn't change the quickness or the speed or the the depth of your healing, there's no need to to pile on and feel anxious the whole time you're going through it. You need to relax and let your body do what it does.
0: I think there's a bit of a nuance and see what you think, Rick, between a kind of a denial and just delusional, not that it's not really happening, and a distraction or a bit of a deflection to help you to deal with it, to cope with it. I think humor and seeing things a little bit brighter and opportunistic silver lining can be a coping mechanism. Do uh, you think so?
3: Oh, yeah. If you if you can't see the outcome as being positive, then I don't see how you get up every day anyway. It's just, that would yeah. be dreadful to me. We can, we're can we human, so we, we get impatient with how fast things uh, turn around or how fast things get better or or how fast they don't get better and how quickly they go the other direction, all those things. But it's really totally out of our control. You can it, make healthy choices. You can do what you need to do and tr- get treatment the way you need to get treatment. But beyond that, there's not much else you can do. So you don't want to beat yourself up with it.
0: You can be quickly drawn back into reality rather quickly by a doctor's report or some bad thing happening. Uh, in my field, as soon as I, uh, you mentioned about the catheter, I had a catheter for a couple of weeks once I got home. And when the first time that I was able to get up and try to walk down the hallway, our dog decided to take a walk down the hallway with me, and got it got tangled in the tube, and started walking. And I had to follow my dog for several feet. and Believe me, that got my attention.
3: <laughs> yeah. Two days before I was supposed to have my cat removed, uh, it stopped working. Something wasn't connected in there. Rushed over there. But with no anesthesia or anything, and me wide awake, he had to jam it back in there and make the connection happen. He's hold on to something and use (laughs) whatever words you need to use to get through it. And
0: so, so, hang on, baby. Here we're going in.
3: We're going in. Oh my god! So all my all my post op bad words were the names of basketball teams and the big dance. So when he jammed it, I go Gonzaga. Oh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) and yet here's one of the things I found really cool about you, Rick, is you've been able to take this situation, your cancer situation, and you've been able to do some really positive things with it. You mentioned you make it a part of some of your shows. And I know you are an advocate for people getting screened and so on, but you also have, you mentioned earlier about how you were a cyclist as part of getting back to health and you've combined your cycling bicycling with your cancer and health and health charities to do uh-huh. something positive. Tell me about what you came up with that way.
3: Yeah. So like you said, I got into biking a lot and part of it was therapy, I think, because when you're riding a bike, you can't think a lot about other issues. You're just paying attention to the road or the mountain bike trail, whatever you're you're doing. And it started to add up to a lot of miles. I'm like, man, I wonder if I could combine this with a goal that's bigger than just me riding a bike. So what I'm attempting to do is cycle the distance around the world, which if you round it up is 25,000 miles. I'm trying to do that before I hit 57 years old. I've done 14,000 miles so far. Wow. But the, the game is, can I do it before I help raise a million dollars for other groups? So the fundraising is at about 60%, we're at $640,000 I think so far with different fundraising events I've done and some individual things. And the, the biking is just behind it, probably 58% or whatever it is. It's or maybe a little bit ahead of it. But... I'm curious to see what happens first. I hope that we hit a million bucks b- before I even get close to finishing my ride. But every day I go ride, if if I don't feel like the extra five miles here, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to push towards this goal and see if I can help raise some awareness. So if, if people okay. are interested in that, then go to bike, the number four bucks.com and see the different groups that have helped raise money for the different causes. And I'm excited about the cause we have coming up pretty soon as well. That'll be included in the for Sure.
0: And you and I are working on an event that we're looking forward to having here, Clean Comedy Cancer Benefit, here in suburban Indianapolis, where I'm located at. And, and it's going to be looking to raise some money for cancer research. And you're going to be with us. And tell us a little bit of what what we can expect
3: and when, when you come to be with us in our
0: Clean Comedy Cancer Benefit.
3: Basically, you can bring your whole family, bring anybody who needs to laugh. If you're going through cancer or been through it, Come out. I'll probably have a little bit of material that night about my experience that that gives you a little bit of hope on the other side of things. And we just want to just be around each other and raise awareness. I think that's a big part of it. I I wasn't aware of a PSA number or a PSA blood test and all these things that are very simple. It
0: was all new to me as well when I started.
3: That's the thing. Men are very prostate cancer and skin cancer are very prominent among guys in their mid fifties and up. We weren't raised with the sunblock for the skin cancer. And Hmm. we weren't raised by parents who talked much about, I didn't even know my dad had prostate cancer until two weeks after I had the surgery. Then my mom goes, oh yeah, by the way, your dad had that. He's doing okay. I'm like, this would be good information for me to have as a (laughs) graduating college student. I should have a little book of medical facts of history in my family. So when I Go on to have my own family and have checkups. I've got some information. I hadn't. I, I had no idea to even look for it. That's
0: uh. That's all part of the family story and part of the. And you mentioned how your wife's. I believe you said her father died of prostate cancer. Yeah. And I know that prostate cancer and all forms of cancer are just a major, still a major killer of people, and. We need to respond and let's respond in a positive way. A lot of times people deal with the cancer and they just think it automatically like a, a death sentence. They think doom and gloom and grim. And I've, one of the things we like to say here on the Cancer Comedy Podcast, we'd like to turn the grim into a grin, that you can do that in the three events like what we're talking about here. And it's about telling a tell, about telling a news story. And so Well, how can people learn to tell a great story about their experiences? I find a lot of people have very life-changing experiences that really need to be shared. Sometimes it's just shared in the family, like you mentioned there, and sometimes it needs to be shared in a bigger forum because they're so uh, powerful stories. Tell us a a little bit of how people can take their experiences and then share them into a, a, a story that can be transformative or hold people's attention.
3: I think for me, what I've realized is if I always share what God has done with me, as opposed to what I did or a choice I made or didn't make, and then how I responded to what God put into my life as an opportunity. I look at cancer as an opportunity now. I look at it as something I'm cursed with. I'm blessed with it. Yes. I can help other people maybe go through it better, recognize it earlier, all these different things. So it's not a it's not a shackle by any means. So. If, I, I just think if you get to the truth of the matter and share that part of the story, that's the most important thing. And God is the the one who shapes all of our stories, I believe. So what he did with me is just one small example and what he's still yet to do with me. I, I still feel like maybe I'm just on the first step of this new journey with him. So that to me is riveting. Whoever's telling their story about what's God doing done in their life has got my attention.
0: Let's just close with this, how people can be, learn more about you, your website, that there's a TV show that's coming, but some new episodes are coming up uh, about it and you have a prominent part to play. Tell us what you're up to these days, uh, what you do, your tour, your website, the new TV show. Tell us what what you're about as we, so people can learn more about
3: you. Sure. They can check out my website, rickroberts.com. It's R-I-K. Just leave out the C, rickroberts.com. If people are mayberry fans they can go to mayberryman.com or look up mayberry man the movie or mayberry man the series and youtube or facebook and find out more about those things but i basically got a phone call somebody had, had seen my interpretation of barney fife in a couple of youtube videos they're like we're doing a movie you don't have to be don Knotts or barney fife we just need you to be in a barney fife impersonator uh, the whole movie takes place at a, at a mayberry festival so you'll be interacting with other tribute artists And so we shot in three locations. Uh, I shot in two of them, Mount Airy, North Carolina, where they have a big Mayberry Festival, and it's kind of the adopted home of Andy Griffith. And then Danville, Indiana, uh, the town square and a lot of the areas surrounding that was, we shot many different scenes and sets there. So that was a lot of fun. And it was on Amazon Prime, still is, it's on different channels, you can check it out now. And it's been spun off into a series. We've shot five episodes and that's gonna be premiering in September. At a few red carpet events, and then most likely it'll end up on Amazon Prime or one of the other streaming services after that.
0: Yeah. Hey, just a really cool interpretation. If you're an old Andy Griffith Show fan, I saw some clips of this. Really a cool interpretation of the Barney Five character. What a delight to to have you with us, Rick Roberts. We're going to put everything you mentioned on our website, cancerandcomedy.com. And he also, on his website, has all the locations around the country where he's going to be. You can check him out live. You can also check him out live in suburban Indianapolis on November 4th. And you can check that out by going to cancerandcomedy.com slash events. Our guest today on Cancer and Comedy, Rick Roberts. Thanks for being our guest today, Rick. Hey, it's a lot of fun, Brian. We'll see you soon.
1: Wow, that was absolutely fantastic. It was so interesting to hear how Rick became a comedian, but also, you know, and and obviously this pertains to us so much with Cancer and Comedy, how important humor is In this process, um, you know, because it really is something that is so scary. It's life threatening. We don't know what to do. And sometimes we just have to poke a little fun at it in order to get through it. So
0: true about how you deal with something scary by making a little bit light of it. And we'd like to talk here at Cancer comedy, about lifting people up you know, with a good story, mm-hmm. but we have to kind of balance that right. out with, you know, understand we're dealing with some pretty heavy duty stuff here. And Rick mm-hmm. uh, Roberts right. as a comedian kind of, uh, uh, has to navigate this a little bit in terms of how to share comedically about what happened to him and to deal with these things. And, uh, and still be respectful. I know one of the things that, uh, one of the things, right. uh, Rick shared was a, a, thing that is said in the comedy community which I had not heard before but I think it makes some sense that everything can be funny but not everything is funny and uh, I think that's a matter of judgment and I think here on the Mm -hmm. on the uh, cancer comedy podcast we have to try to uh, you and I do our best to use good judgment Mm -hmm. about what's appropriate but Mm -hmm. just have some fun and you see some things and you try to deal with it but I also see see this Deb is where Rick talks a lot about kind of the journey that he went on through going through the comedy clubs and we had some discussion mm-hmm. about you know blue or mm-hmm. dirty humor and clean humor and that type of thing and right. yeah and so do. but you know he mm-hmm. had to navigate that and there's a uh, some of the mm-hmm. uh, ne- navigating or negotiation that kind of takes place in that but I loved mm-hmm. how Rick talked about comedy as a tool to get a message across and, com- mm-hmm. and he saw that it's right. a bit of his calling about not only his uh, health si- situation, mm-hmm. but his faith and, and having the values of being a clean uh, comedian and, uh, and this certain of what to use this tool of comedy mm-hmm. for and how he felt called. I think he used the terminology mm-hmm. called to do uh, mm-hmm. clean comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we right. can learn something from that about how, you know, mm-hmm. One of the things I love about you, Deb, is you have taken your situation, you know, and your, your website and your face, uh, your Facebook channel, trying not to die live. And you've taken the bad circumstance and you have turned it around and you are, you know, really motivated, uh, to use this as a tool mm-hmm. to be helpful. And, uh, mm-hmm. so respond to me a little right. bit about it. How do you think what we, we can learn from Rick about using tool in his case, comedy and as a tool to be helpful.
1: Well, you know, like you said, it's it's a way to reach people about a subject that makes people uncomfortable. I tell you what, when you two boys were talking about your escapades with catheters, I just thought that was funny. I mean, you know, and and but it was handled in a way where it it was also you know you you it, there wasn't anything that most people. Would find offensive about it. You know, might raise their eyebrows a little yes. bit, or go, "Oh my, um, I live in the south, right?" But, um, but you know, it, the the thing that Rick talks about is how to use this as a way to help spread the message. You know, he he talked about the fact that men, yes, don't always know these things about their own health, and you know, and, and so by him talking about it and kind of humanizing it with the humor and the comedy, it makes it a subject that we can talk yeah,
0: about. Uh, that's so important. And you know, we, he and I had some, we both deal with prostate cancer. So we had some similar experiences there. And, and we talked a little bit about how his uh, kind of crazy situation of seeing the doc outside the hospital smoking. And then the, a little while later, he's his anesthesiologist. <laughs>
1: This is and and the anesthesiologist, right? You know, the person who's dealing with your oxygen. Uh My situation where Mm, the lights
0: were flickering on and off, uh, you know, for this big storm going on Mm -hmm. just before my surgery. And uh I was a little nervous about the power going off in the middle of some surgical procedure. (laughs) You never Mm -hmm. know. But how to see that a little bit in a lighter a lighter heart way Mm -hmm. and uh do something Mm about it. And you know, hopefully that can be the type of thing, Deb, that can help somebody else Mm -hmm. just to lessen the stress just a little bit Mm -hmm. because when you go through treatment, Mm -hmm. you go through testing, it is a stressful situation and hopefully Mm -hmm. uh, humor, you know, can uh, break the spell. So, so to speak.
1: Right. Right. Well, and I like to make my caregivers laugh, um, you know, and, and, and because they are dealing with so much serious you know, serious issues, truly life and death. And so if I can make them a little bit happier before we start a procedure, I figure it's probably better for me. Um, I went in one time for surgery and, you know, they have the, the, right. the caps on their head, you know, as, as part of their, their, and, and it, the, the anesthesiologist actually had one on that was for a college, you know, big college sports fan, Dang. our biggest rival. And I, and so you know, so he and I start laughing about this. I'm like, I'm not sure I want you to touch me. <laughs> you know? And we had a you know, and, and we had a good time laughing until he got tired of it and knocked me out. I mean you a little, know, that was, a little that bit was of leverage there, right? The conversation. right? Well yeah, yeah, but yeah, you know, but it but we you know everybody was laughing, the mood got lighter. You know, we've seen videos of patients getting up and dancing. I mean, yeah. all sorts of things. So what can we do with our healthcare providers to kind of make it a little bit yeah, easier for them, awesome. too?
0: That's awesome. Just even just something just had to be yesterday. Two days ago, I had some significant oral surgery in the dental office called me yesterday yes how you doing i just said to the woman who called office person said well i'm doing okay except all my teeth fell out yesterday and so she <laughs> she didn't think it was all that funny and he, my wife who was my wife was standing nearby, no. didn't think it was funny either but uh, i thought it, i thought it was they, everybody head. groaned everybody groaned and that's kind of I the know. takeaway that i have because i of course i'm not a professional comedian like no. rick roberts is i'm just a guy who thinks he's funny once in a while and uh do the best that, best that I can. I, I love to have Rick on the, as a professional comedian on the program, but we certainly are mm-hmm. looking forward mm-hmm. to seeing him November 4th at our uh, launch party for the Cancer and Comedy uh, podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Cannot wait. It's going to be great. Well, now that we've heard from our comedy professional, it's time for our own amateur hour on our Cancer and Comedy segment, Dr. Brad's Bad Joke of the Day.
0: Here's a story about being helpful, even in the most difficult of circumstances. A man was sent to prison for armed robbery. After a few months, he received a letter from his father. The letter said, Dear son, it looks like I won't be able to plant the potato garden this year. I hate to miss it. But I guess I'm just too old to be digging up a garden plot by myself. If you were here, I know you'd do it for me. As it is, there's not much I can do. Hope you're well. Love, Dad. After that, the old man received a letter from his son, and in the letter it said this line, For God's sake, Dad, don't dig up the garden. That's where I buried the money. A few days later, a gang of FBI agents appeared at the old man's house and they proceeded to dig up the entire garden. They dug and they dug and they dug and they went here and there and they went all through the backyard and the whole garden area. They dug it up and they looked and looked and looked for the money, but they could never find any of the money. Confused, not really knowing what to do, the father Wrote another letter to his son telling him all that had happened. And he asked his son, What should I do? His son wrote back, Now plant your potatoes.
1: Oh, Dr. Brad, you and your jokes. But now it's time to shift gears for Dr. Brad's Faith It or Break It segment.
0: In our Faith It or Break It segment today, I just want to share with you for a moment about perseverance. And determination in the face of a challenging foe like cancer. If you ever spend any time around a children's hospital like I have, you've seen, occasionally you've seen a very determined and dogged mom of a child oftentimes, as mainly many times as the mom, who is really determined to be an advocate for their child because they know that their child can't always speak for themselves. And so they are just do whatever they need to do. Sometimes they're in the face of a doctor or if they're very involved with the care process. They're going to get it done regardless. People are like that, especially when someone who is kind of helpless is in need. And that's a good thing. Perseverance and determination to get things done. You have to be an advocate for yourself or be an advocate for someone who is not able to speak for themselves or not, not able to do something for themselves. I was uh, reminded of this when I came across the passage of Scripture, Luke five nineteen, when Jesus was in this house, and there was some big crowd there because the Jesus was healing some folks, and uh, there were some guys who wanted to get their buddy who was in a stretcher. Who was paralyzed and to see Jesus, but such a big crowd couldn't get through. And so, what they do, they got determined when they, meaning the friends, could not find a way to, to get into the house, it says, to get because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat, their buddy, through the tiles in the roof into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. They kind of went, In your face, Jesus, here I am because you are the source of healing. I think it gets in very, very very many ways instructive to us. There are times when we really have to really persevere and get through whatever obstacles are there. Just three, or three things to take away from this. I think we can be creative in finding solutions to our problems. When we're faced in, like an obstacle, like the crowds in this house, like these guys did, they didn't give up, but they found an unconventional way to bring their friend to Jesus. We need to do that too in the medical community, and we can be researchers. We can do some things as well and be a part of the team, part of the process, and apply problem-solving skills to overcome challenges. Another thing we can do is just choose to persist through adversity. Get through it. These men, these buddies of their paralyzed friend, were determined to bring him to Jesus despite the crowd, despite everything going on, and their persistence and their faith and their hope that there was something good on the other side, it paid off. Now in our lives and our health journeys and everything else, we're gonna experience roadblocks and we're gonna have difficulties and adversities, but we need to keep pushing, get through. Another thing that we can do here is be part of a team that chooses to help others in need. That's what we try to do here on the Cancer and Comedy Podcast, and that's what I wanna encourage you to do to help others in need. These men, the buddies of the paralyzed guy, they went through great effort. Can you imagine what it was like to carry him up on the roof? Because they cared about him. They loved him. And we can follow in this example and to kind of go the extra mile to look out for the needs of other people and going out of our way to help them. You can have have faith or you can break it by not persevering. That's our faith it or break it. Segment.
1: It's now time for our Cancer and Comedy featured segment as we hear from our Lifter Uppers. Did you know that you can be on Cancer and Comedy as a Lifter Upper listener with your uplifting story about your cancer journey? Just go to voicemail.cancerandcomedy.com.
0: Today's Lifter Upper Listener segment is by David Chudick who tells an incredible story about he and his sister. Here's David's story.
2: So, um, so yeah, so she lived in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and that's where we spent our teenage years, and and um, one of the things that you do in Myrtle Beach is you go cruise the boulevard when you're a teenager. So you kind of go out and um, there, there are some, some people that, that have all souped up sports cars or whatever, and then, um, you know so that was kind of the thing that we did back in our teenage years so i had made from from my hometown probably i think 22 trips to myrtle beach because there literally was you know i have a brother and then and then her son you know is 19 so needed a lot of help so i put life on hold for that year which was tough and i made that trip a lot and one of the nights that her son actually went to work you know when i was down there that would be kind of his key like look at you can go to work, you know, go get out, just, you know, have a quote, normal life for a night or two. So my sister and I, we went to this little park that was, you know, I don't know, maybe a 10th of a mile circle. And we, we would walk around the circle and it was, you know, just a nice wooded little park across the street from the beach. And, and that was a little bit of exercise. But then one night we, um, we went, we cruised the boulevard. So we took my car and, and There'd be no way to explain how bad my sister looked at this point. Just you know, a big scar on her face, and just you know, like if you were would have seen her, just not knowing her, you would have yeah. almost been horrified. So you know, I was like, "Hey, let let's let's go cruise the boulevard." And um, so we drove down the boulevard, and there's this huge Ferris wheel, and there's you know cars and music, and um, you know, and and. She, her vision was very impaired from the strokes and everything, but she knew we were there. And, um, that was, you know, that was the time that I know that I made peace and, and as human beings, I think it's, I don't know how to say it the right way, but there are, there are things that maybe our family legitimately did us wrong. But of course there are you know ways that I legitimately, you know, did her wrong or or she would have a legitimate you know beef with me and vice versa but you know that was kind of the moment where it's like you know what we're just we're brother and sister we we you know for lack of a better term we both suck as human beings in some ways you know and we both (laughs) you're having a good you're having a good moment right you're having a good had had that moment and that was kind of the forgiveness moment um and and i don't want to say forgive because there was nothing really to forgive other than just some you know just some some sibling stuff but that was a moment where I was like you know what we're just everything is is okay it's it's all better it's all okay I knew whether it was going to be a week or months she was not going to be around much longer you know barring you know a miracle of miracles which always could have happened but you know the miracle is that she's not dealing with all the earthly problems that you and I are dealing with now sure
1: Well, lifter uppers, this brings us to the conclusion of this episode of Cancer and Comedy podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. You know, we like to call folks like you who follow Cancer and Comedy lifter uppers or lifters for short, because Cancer and Comedy is all about telling uplifting stories of people like you who are kicking cancer's butt with healing through hope and humor. You can join those of us who are turning the grim into grins by telling us your uplifting story. Just go to voicemail.cancerandcomedy.com. And you can also keep up with everything Cancer and Comedy through our Cancer and Comedy Chronicles newsletter. You can sign up at newsletter.cancerandcomedy.com. Well, that's it for now. Please join us next time on Cancer and Comedy. And if you like what you hear, please pass this podcast on to someone in your life. Who needs to turn their grim into a grin? For Dr. Brad Miller, I'm Deb Creer, reminding you that a cheerful heart is good medicine. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Cancer and Comedy Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Make sure you visit our website, cancerandcomedy.com, where you can follow the show and get our newsletter. Like what you hear? then tell a friend about Cancer and Comedy, the show that lifts your spirits with hope and humor that heals. Until next time, keep turning the grim into a grin.